it's time to turn out the lights, grab some popcorn, and watch some horrible horror movies. This is the Terrible Terror Podcast. Each episode, I delve into the world of terrible horror movies. Why do I do it? Well, I can't really explain it, but I love these horrible horror movies. If you've made a horror movie on your phone, or made your own special effects MacGyver style, please, send them my way. Well, what do you get when you have acting as stiff as a board, but some of the best practical effects of your era? Why, you get A Nightmare on Elm Street 3, The Dream Warriors. slices of death how i loathe them edgar Allan poe it's odd to start a movie with an edgar Allan poe quote even before the title credits even run but that's how this one starts well before we get into it i want to apologize you see i haven't really been sleeping it just seems like every time i close my eyes i keep hearing these horrible puns these like killer puns i don't get it They're always there every time I close my eyes and I start dreaming. And it just wakes me up and takes me right out of it. And then I can't sleep. And then if I think maybe I should go back to sleep, I'm like, no, I don't want to hear that shit anymore. So I've been kind of pumping myself with a little bit of coffee and, uh, you know, a couple five hours every two hours and some Red Bull. And uh, it has nothing to do with the head cold that I've got going on. But... You know, I'm almost at the point that maybe I'm thinking that uh, if I want to stay awake longer, not asleep, uh, it might be time to turn to meth. You know, that might keep me awake for a little while. But, alas, I digress. The last thing that I heard in the last dream that I did have was some creepy voice telling me to watch A Nightmare on Elm Street Part 3. Which king? Which one was that? I mean, that's the Dream Warriors, right? That's the one with all the kids in the psycho hospital? Or was it the one with it? No, the one with the male lead is part two, I believe, which is uh, Freddy's Revenge. And it's definitely not the original because you, everybody knows that one. Everybody knows The Nightmare on Elm Street. Why, Spirit? Why are you haunting me in my dreams and telling me to watch A Nightmare on Elm Street Part 3? Then, for some reason, it answered me. And that threw me off, too. And it said... Because that's where the puns start. And don't you like my puns? Don't you like clowns? Oh, wait, that's another movie altogether. Uh, well, so I took it upon myself to go ahead and watch A Nightmare on Elm Street Part 3, The Dream Warriors. And I want to be upfront and say this first. This is probably the best out of all the Nightmare on Elm Street sequels. And as everybody knows, the series was originally started by Wes Craven. 
And when he thought of the series, he really didn't want it to be a franchise. And he actually backed out of part two. Part two is also kind of crazy because it's the first time that you have a quote-unquote male screen queen. Uh, and if you don't know what the term screen queen is, you can look it up. I mean, it's basically the heroine that, you know, is the screamer in the movie. If you want kind of a quick and dirty version of that. But for the most part, the actor that portrayed the main character in part two, he didn't want to be labeled as a scream queen, partially because he was gay. Now, Wes Craven came back for part three and actually co-wrote the script. Uh, I believe that he co-wrote the script with Bruce Wagner. So it's kind of neat that he came back to the series after he didn't want anything else to do with it, primarily because he didn't want it to be a franchise. So you actually get a little extra story in this that maybe you didn't get in the first one. And it's, it's not bad. Now, there are things, of course, that are bad about this film. You just can't not see it. <laughs> I know it sounds really cryptic in the way that I'm going, but it's like, it's, it's like taking a movie that you really like and then nitpicking to find out what's there. But it's actually, in this case, the nitpicking is worthwhile. I like the fact that our returning heroine from the first film, she's back. And uh, that it kind of wraps up her story and while still creating a little more of the mythos that is Freddy Krueger. So, let's get started with the film. So, as the film opens, we see our character by the name of Kristen. Uh, she is building a papier-mâché house. In the beginning, it was weird because you get a bunch of, like, flour and water and stuff. And I was like, oh, is she making meth? And then she takes a giant spoonful of coffee. And, you know, I've tried that before, you know, where you just take coffee grounds or you take uh, Folgers Instant Coffee. And you just throw it in your mouth and try to, you know, maybe force it down with a Diet Coke or... Uh, you know, if you really want to go as far, and I know this was in the 80s, it was 87, you know, nowadays you take like a Monster or a Red Bull along with it, and then you get, you know, triple, quadruple, uh, heart attack inducing caffeine, if you will. So, you know, and it, like I said before, instead of that, you know, meth, that works pretty well. Keep you up for a couple of days, you know. Plus, you get to have the fun of like uh, doing a rolling meth lab, uh, you know, and avoiding the cops. What else is going to keep you up? cops can't catch you right so the the mixture that she makes is not very appealing and then it turns out that yeah it's just a, a form of paste used for paper mache where you just take flour and water and you kind of mix it together and then you put your paper on it and she's making some weird house uh over this you see the credits of course and there's a couple of acting choices that are really weird when they have the featuring one is Larry Fishburne, and I couldn't figure that out right away, um, but I'll tell you when I did. And then the ones that really kind of stood out to me were Jaja Gabor and uh, Dick Cabot. Like, I don't remember them being in this movie at all. Turns out they're in one of my favorite scenes of the movie. Not because necessarily of, and I'm, spoiler, it's a kill. It's not because of how the person's kill, it's the pun. Um... And again, this is, I believe, is also the starting time when Kruger started using more puns in his killing or being more of a jokester. I mean, he's still fearful. Um, 
unlike the first movie where he's more of just a scary character and of course it's scary but this is where he starts becoming kind of fun and includes little puns along with his kills and i apologize i'm going to be drinking a lot of water during this podcast again uh mostly to deal with the sickness so we meet uh as everything kind of goes around and they start uh playing some metal music that is eerily familiar Uh, maybe it's just for this one scene maybe we'll come back and we'll hear it later we actually see patricia arquette in one of her earliest roles and that she plays Kristen. so Kristen is staying up and she's making this house when her mom finally comes home and she seems kind of like a bitch hi mom don't hi mommy what are you still doing up it's past one just thought i'd wait for you well i'm home now you can get to sleep come on on delay Okay, so you wouldn't think that, you know, is something wrong that the daughter is staying up that late to talk to you? I mean, what type of mom are you? Are you a cool mom? Mom, I'm still having those awful dreams. Elaine, where do you keep the bourbon? I'll be right down. Honey, I've got a guest. And you don't want to keep him waiting. That's right, I don't. Okay, yeah, you're not just cool mom, you're whore mom. I mean, come on, your daughter is having these creepy dreams that she's telling you about, and you're totally dismissing them. She says they're back and they're keeping her awake. But meanwhile, you got a guy downstairs that really just wants to fuck, and you got to make sure that he gets his bourbon so that you get yourself some. I I just can't believe it. And uh, basically what she's saying is, I'm sorry that you have problems, but I've got a guy that's waiting for me. So all of a sudden, uh, she goes to sleep. And we're brought to what I call Uncle Freddy's Cavern. And outside of this house, there's a bunch of, of course, not creepy little kids. And what are they singing? fucking freaky kids are not boating well for this house i mean you have to think about it there's just some random kids jumping rope in front of a house and the house that looks like the paper mache house that you just made by the way and then there's this creepy little girl sitting on a tricycle right in front of the door Kristen goes up to her and she asks what her name is hi what's your name Kristen? what's yours <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like the little uh, Cupid Cartman that, that later came on. I wonder where that's where they got the idea for that voice. But really, it's like, what's your name, Kirsten? What's your name, Teehee? Oh, hey, Teehee. Can you tell me a little bit about this place? I mean, it's a little creepy, right? So they go inside the house. Uh, well, she disappears, I should say, the little girl. And, and Kirsten goes inside the house. And... Uh, ends up running into the little kid once again. 
uh, in the midst of talking to her, all of a sudden everything just kind of goes red. And you see the boiler room, it just suddenly light up into fire. And there's bones everywhere. So, of course, she's probably led her to her doom. And this is actually kind of neat because we get a, a little bit of a Freddy sighting right away. See, Kirsten is running away from everything. And I should say that the bones that are used to power the furnace don't look like they'd be very warming. Like, wouldn't you rather use wood? I mean, I understand you're probably in your own personal hell, Freddy, but be practical, right? So, of course, she grabs the girl when she hears Freddy coming, and she starts running down the hallway. And when she gets down the hallway, all of a sudden, she gets stuck in, like, a black goo. And Freddy's still running kind of at full speed, or chasing her at full speed, I should say. And she is turned into slow-mo. So I guess this gook automatically puts you in slow motion? Doesn't make any sense to me, but whatever fucking movie. And then, of course, there's that last minute fucking bullshit where right before Freddy's gonna get her, she manages to break free and comes out of the slow motion. And she turns around, she enters into a room where there's a bunch of dead fucking kids hanging from the rafters. Now, I don't remember hearing about Freddy hanging the kids. I just remember him killing them and burning them. But I guess to add uh, maybe effect to the situation, uh, I, I guess we could go from there. Okay, he hung a bunch of kids. And so she's running, them, uh, running into them, and then she turns to the little girl that uh, has, she's been holding on to, and of course she's a charred-up fucking skeleton and not a real girl. Now, did anybody see that coming? Because I know I sure did. And then she wakes up. Oh, good. It wasn't a bad, or it must have just been a dream after all. It wasn't that bad of a dream. She goes into the bathroom, and oh, shit, it's fucking Freddy. And he slashes at her through the mirror and manages to cut her wrists. Well, one of her wrists, and then you see it uh, go back to actually real time. And she's the one that's holding the razor over her wrist, and her mom comes and grabs her. That's where we go over to the mental hospital. And we meet Dr. Gordon and his assistant, Larry Fishburne, who happens to be Lawrence Fishburne in one of his earliest roles. And I have to say, as a side character and kind of minor character, I like him a lot in this film. He even gives us his suicide theory. Say, listen, Doc, I got a new theory about all these suicides, right? Don't hold back on us, Max. We need all the help we can get. Yeah, fucked up chromosomes, man. Think about it. All their parents dropped acid during the 60s. Well, Beat Sims theory, she thinks it's nothing but sex, drugs, and rock and roll. Shit, that's what keeps people alive. I agree with Larry. Sex, drugs, and rock and roll, that's the way to go. You live fast, you die hard, and you have fun while doing it. I do not believe that that's the way to go, just so you know. It's more of just a joke, okay? Okay, we'll keep it between us. All right, and then you get, uh, along with him, that's Dr. Neil Gordon, uh, who's played by Craig Wasson. I'm not sure exactly who he is. But there's another guy in this movie that looks kind of familiar. Uh, and you kind of go down the hallway and you run into all the different characters that are there at this uh, psychiatric ward. He starts running into all of the characters that we slowly meet through the rest of the film. He also m manages to make a nice little pun with a lady that is uh, burning herself with cigarettes to stay awake. Yeah, I've been good. 
So, um, when do I get my cigarette privileges back? Don't hold your breath. That's the type of dad puns that you can expect in this movie. Well, after kind of going through, there's a red alert because there's a new patient that's been brought in. He's also been notified, by the way, that there's an intern that's coming in, a Nancy Thomas. And that name does sound familiar. Oh, oh well, we'll meet her soon. I'll figure out who it is. Uh, but they go into the room, and it's Kirsten. She's there being by Max uh, because she doesn't want to go to sleep, and the doctors want to try to sedate her. Of course, you know, we know that she's not crazy. Kristen, put the scalpel down. Nobody's going to hurt you. Five, six, grab your crucifix. Seven, eight, better stay up late. Nine, ten, never, never sleep again. Holy shit. I knew I recognized her. That's Nancy Thompson from the very first Nightmare on Elm Street. She's back. Why would she do this to herself? I mean, come on. Really? You care that much about the kids? You know, you know that Freddy's still around? You know, you got away? You're alive? Why would you want to try to go after him again? Oh, we'll just let the movie tell me. So, she comes in, she knows everything that's kind of going on, and, you know, unlike Dr. Gordon, she's able to dodge a nut punch uh, from Kirsten. She calms her down and gets her going, and then she has her conversation with Dr. Nolan outside and wants to know more about the kids at the uh, facility. Tell me about the kids. Well, they're survivors in a way. They're all severely sleep disordered, insomnia, narcolepsy bedwetting but the nightmares are the common thread right they they seem to share a group delusion a, a boogeyman for lack of a better word they're so traumatized that they'll do almost anything not to sleep anything yes anything he even goes to tell her that one of the patients went so as far as to remove the eyelids with a razor from his eyes so he wouldn't fall asleep now i'm pretty sure that that kid's no longer there because he wasn't a part of any of the kids that we ran into he also asked her about the boogeyman and what she knew about it. What was that nursery rhyme all about? That was just uh, something that the kids say to keep the boogeyman away. Dr. Gordon at this point goes back to meet some of the kids, who Max actually does kind of show her around to some of the different rooms. She runs into Joey, uh, who is shown to be the mute of the whole place. And then he takes her in the room with Philip and somebody he calls Cool Breeze. Now, Philip is very into puppets, and he's got a bunch that he can make, but they won't give him any wood or any knives because they're worried that he's going to try to kill himself because he's supposedly suicidal. Cool Breeze, on the other hand, I don't really get his being uh, there, uh, but he seems to be kind of the rockish, like, smack jive talker uh, that everybody uh, has met. Um, I try to remember his original name, but Cool Breeze is all I wrote down. <laughs> so we're going to go with Cool Breeze for him for the rest of the time. Uh, also, when we see Joey, he's kind of perving on one of the nurses on the outside, but a pervier nurse pervs on that nurse and gets her out of there. And we see what... I couldn't quite make it out when I was looking at the video, but it looks like he's got like a prison tear on his face, but yet you never see it again. 
for some reason, it's like in this scene, and maybe he's just sad. Maybe it's a real tear, and it just looked like a prison tattoo, uh, which I thought would have been hilarious if he actually had that on his face. So Nancy decides that she's going to go get Kirsten's mom to sign all the paperwork for her. And that's when we find out that her mom really is a total fucking bitch. Mrs. Parker, was Kristen acting any different? Did you notice anything strange before she made the attempt? Kirsten specializes in strangeness. I've spent thousands on psychiatrists. Did she always have nightmares? No, they've gotten worse since I took away her credit cards. I'm serious. Miss Thompson, I don't know what you want from me. Just some answers. There are other kids involved, not just Kristen. All good kids, smart kids. Look, I'm sorry to hear that, but you're the experts on this, not me. If I had any insight into any of this, I would share them with you. Believe me. So she offers to go get Kirsten's stuff and take it back with her. When she goes up to her bedroom, she actually sees the paper mache house that she's built, and she recognizes it. Then she takes it with her and she leaves. We then cut over to Dr. Gordon. And Dr. Gordon, while he was talking with Nancy, he realized that uh, something had popped out of her purse and it was a pill bottle. And it had the words Hypnosil written on it. Now it turns out that's the type of drug that's in this world that totally makes it so that you can sleep but you don't dream. So that's how we know how Nancy's been dealing with the Freddy Krueger problem. If she still has it. Now... I, I know we, I might get into this a little later, but I really want to kind of understand it because we have to talk about, at this point, how A Nightmare Before Elm Street ended. If you have ever seen it before, um, I you know, you know you're, where I'm going. If you haven't seen it before, one, why haven't you? And two, this is going to be a spoiler. So after they've defeated Freddy in the very first film, uh, the mom is all happy after being kind of a drunk and a loner or whatever you want to call her. And uh, she's going out with her friends. And you see all of her friends get into in a car and start to drive away. Of course, the Freddy car or the car looks like Freddy Krueger. Not in terms of, oh, God, it's a Freddy car. But the color scheme is exactly what Freddy wears. His brown hat and his kind of red and brown striped uh, sweater vest and, and pants. And as they're driving away, she realizes kind of what's going on. Nancy does. And her mom is then drawn in through the door and killed in one of the worst practical effects you'll ever see. But at that time, it was pretty shocking. So she, you didn't know whether or not she survived. And here you find out, yeah, she did survive. Yeah, her mom did die. Um, But you kind of thought, oh, well, she was back together with her friends. And so it doesn't make quite sense if that was still the dream and how did she get out of that dream? Because uh, she does say that her friends are dead later on in this film. And it confused me for a second because it's kind of like, well, what exactly happened? How do we get to this point? If she died in the dream, did she bring her mom to the dream? Uh, And I ask that question because that's kind of what happens in this next sequence. See, we go back to Kirsten. She's finally been given her uh, sedatives and she's falling asleep. Well, while she's there in her room, a trike runs through and it starts with first having a trail of blood fall behind it and then starts melting in the room. She leaves and she's back inside the, uh, the house from before. And... 
this is one of the best effects in the film that I can say. Uh, one, the tricycle effect is really well done when it starts melting into everything. And it seems like they use a little bit of practical effects along with a little bit of claymation uh, to make it work. It's kind of cool uh, in this scene because she's in this room and all of a sudden Freddy just starts tearing that shit up. I mean, things are flying everywhere. Things are busting off walls and off the floor. It's getting all rumbly. He's tearing up his own fucking house. And then he pops out and uh, he, it's this giant Freddy snake. And it looks really good for the era. I mean, it looks better than most uh, CG things that I see in horror movies nowadays. I'm not saying everything has to be crap because it's CG. I really like pra- practical effects, and I think they work better in horror than a lot of the CG stuff that you do see. Now, when you see the snake, it actually kind of grabs her, and it starts slowly ingesting Kirsten. So Freddy is basically swallowing her whole, or eating her up, not eating her out. Uh, and at that point, she starts crying for somebody, and she actually pulls Nancy into her dream. And when she does that, Nancy is able to actually fight off uh, Freddy for her, and Freddy recognizes who she exactly is. They're able to wake up, and the next morning, they have what I call the Wooden Acting Championships talking about her powers. Listen, here, I'll show you. I used to live in this house. That's just a house I dream about. Have you ever done that before? Pull someone into your dream? When I was a little girl, like four or five, if I had a nightmare, I'd always bring my dad in. Dreams would always get better. He used to tell me about it the next day. He used to think they were his dreams. (laughs) When did that stop? When I was still a kid. My folks got divorced. And after a while, I just thought I imagined the whole thing. I guess I didn't. It's an amazing gift. Now, if you didn't realize it there, Nancy is the first person that talks, and then Kirsten is the second person that talks. I know it sounds like it's the same person, but really, that's Patricia Arquette going second. They really are acting so straight-faced. There's only one emotion for everything that they do. And it really gets frustrating as the movie goes on, Because there's a lot of cool moments. It's getting to those moments that are a little difficult, primarily because of the acting. Honestly, the best actors in this movie are Lawrence Fishburne and Dr. Gordon. Those two people fucking sell it. And the nun that we will meet later on in this film. So, it's now the next morning, and they're going to have their group session. That's where everybody is here. So, you've got Cool Breeze, you've got Junkie Girl, you've got Nerd... You got Philip the Puppeteer. You got the Renee Zellweger kind of look-alike uh, that is really into Hollywood and is the one that burns herself. Dr. Gordon and some other random uh, nurse person that's there. And she's kind of leading the group of what's going on. And as they're talking, you kind of find out they all have something similar in common. And... Uh, one, they kind of put it as everybody's kind of suicidal or has some type of past, but Philip comes out and straight up says what everyone has. Can I interject something here just to save us all some time? Sure, Philip, go ahead. Well, according to our kind hosts, our dreams are a group psychosis, sort of a mellow mass hysteria. The fact that we all dreamt about this guy before we ever met doesn't seem to impress anybody. That's right. 
So we go in circles, making minimal progress with maximum effort. You won't make any progress until you recognize your dreams for what they are. And what are they? The byproducts of guilt. Psychological scars stemming from moral conflicts and overt sexuality. So it's really all about the sexuality and the, the issues that they've all had. So, like I said before, everybody has something in their past. But really, the truly thing that links them all together is that all of them have dealt with Freddy Krueger in their dreams. And no one will fucking recognize it. You know, Philip knows what's kind of going on. But nobody will believe him or nobody will talk to him. At least within uh, that, that psychiatric ward. And it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me but you know we could think of different things moving on and we could just believe what's happening in this film as everything knows you know what the psychiatrist said but of course we know better it's fucking freddy that is going to possibly kill them all so the other people of the group and i know kind of passed them over really quickly but the junkie her name is taryn and she kind of talks about being in or escaping juvenile hall, and that's the reason why she's there. Uh, but there's something that happens a little later that kind of contradicts that, and we'll get into that a little later. Will is our D&D nerd. Coolbreeze, his name is actually Kincaid. Um, and then we've got Jennifer, who is our starlet to be. So, you know, they, they all have, like I said, they all have, Things that allow Freddy to be there. Really, except for Kirsten. She seems to be the only person that doesn't have anything terrible. And for a big reason why she should be targeted by Freddy. That we know of right now. Unless having divorced parents means that, hey, you can have uh, Freddy come and attack you at all times. I would know a lot of people that Freddy would just go, oh, he had a divorced mom and dad. I had to kill him. That's part of my MO, and I'm sticking to it. Uh, but really, I mean, you have, Junkie Girl's a junkie. Uh, the, the Will guy, he's paraplegic from something that he did, uh, and he's, he attempted suicide is what he did. He's also a Dungeons & Dragons enthusiast, but they don't call it D&D here. They call it Wizard Master. Um, and Joey, he was a former school debater who got traumatized by his nightmares, and now he refuses to speak. Uh, Kincaid, though, he's the only kind of generic one where he is the tough kid from the streets. The jive talker, this, this smack taco, you know, those types of things. It's, it's kind of stupid, to be honest with you. And Philip, our puppeteer, is just a sleepwalker. So those are all kind of their, you know... They're different tropes in terms... And really, they call them all suicidal. But the only one that you should be watching all the time is fucking Will. But everybody has this problem because of Freddy. And that's what they don't understand. And that kind of makes those people there kind of shitty doctors, if you ask me. So, everybody breaks off. And we see uh, Taryn and Will and Joey. They're all playing Wizard Master together. And, you know... Joe, uh, Will, he makes her, uh, Taryn, uh, sacrifice her horse. Well, the horse is in a bog, okay? And and why I'm getting into this is because it kind of pissed me off. Because I thought about a never-ending story. 
and Atreyu and his fucking horse, okay? This is what made me think of this, okay? She just left the fucking horse to die in the bog in their game. Now, Atreyu wouldn't have done that shit. That horse has been with him fucking forever. And when he was hit there and that horse, it was trudging through and it was fucking sad. And he was like, no, you have to keep going. Come on, let's go. You know, he let the fucking horse just, he let the horse die because the horse wouldn't do anything and wouldn't budge and just accepted its fate. This horse could have been saved. And she decided, nope, fuck, I'm going to let the horse die. I killed the guy. Let's go on. Now I'm just going to go, ugh. Fucking bitch, man. Leave your fucking horse to die on. Well, so they, you know, they all kind of go their separate ways, and it's because it's time to go to sleep. Since Mac called for lights out. So Tyrion leaves the room, and Will and Joey, who room together, start to go to sleep. Now, Will tells Joey that it's his night to watch, and that if there's any sign that there's any trouble, that he's got to wake him up. So Joey goes in the corner to sit and watch Will sleep, and he takes first shift after Will, I guess, has gotten enough sleep. Then he'll watch Joey for the rest of the night. We then cut over to uh, Nancy and Dr. Gordon talking over dinner, and she kind of cryptically wants to tell him exactly what's going on, but doesn't want to give him the Freddy line just yet. Here, see what she has to say. What if I told you that um, your patients are in real physical danger from their dreams? The, the nightmares are nothing but a symptom of the real problems. All right, well then let's just eliminate the symptom for the time being. With hypnosil? That's right. You want me to prescribe an experimental psychoactive drug to a bunch of suicidal teenagers? Just until we get things under control. Dream deprivation is nothing to fool around with. You have no business taking it yourself. I used to be like them, Neil. I know what they're going through. So do I. No, you really don't. Because only one of your patients is fucking suicidal. The rest of them just don't want to go to sleep. Why don't they want to go to sleep? They tell you that they have bad dreams. I understand that this hypnocell stuff is really a experimental drug, but... If they all worry about sleeping, and it might be worthwhile to maybe give them a try and see if they do better after they have it, and she's telling you, hey, I take it, and look at me, I just act like I'm a fucking piece of wood, I'd be like, oh, okay, that's that's not bad, I'll, I'll go with that. So we go back to the hospital, and the dreams begin, and Philip happens to be the first target, and now we get... Again, some of the best practical effects for this era. This is 1987, and we get some really cool-looking things in this movie, especially when it comes to the Freddy kills. And this is probably one of the best practical ones that I can remember from this time that I really like a lot. I mean, you have the iconic one where Johnny Depp dies in the very first Nightmare on Elm Street where he gets sucked into the bed in the giant geyser, geyser of blood. But this one's cool because everybody kind of gets killed around what their issue is. So, Philip, he likes to make puppets. So, what does Freddy do? He slices open his arms and his legs, pulls out his vein, and makes a Philip puppet. And he starts walking him down the hallway. And all the way to a tower in the distance. Nobody knows how exactly he got in there. uh, But he's there on the top of the tower. And he's looking like he's about to jump out. Joey happens to realize what's going on and wakes up Will. 
And then he goes to the nurse's desk, and, you know, since he doesn't talk, he just kind of smash, 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 smash to get the attention. And the nurse at the desk doesn't fucking follow him. Like, does he do these type of outbreaks all the time? Do they just think, oh, well, those people are fucking crazy, so I'm not going to fucking worry about it. I don't have to do anything with this bullshit. And just not follow her. She's trying. He's like trying to tell her. But because he doesn't talk, you got to just follow him. That's your job as a nurse. Look, this is like Lassie, okay? And I hate to use this analogy, but this is exactly what it is. She's the little boy. He's fucking Lassie. He's saying little Timmy is falling down the well. Uh, not not to little. She's not the little boy. She's the father. He said little Timmy's falling down the well. But he's going, you know, and then he's like oh is there something wrong where's timmy oh timmy timmy's somewhere out there this is him basically saying hey bitch look philip's on the fucking roof over there he's gonna kill himself can somebody please go and help him come with me i want to show you this and she totally fucking ignores him but all the other kids go to their room and see and witness the death of will uh philip i should say not will not will and it sucks. Uh, it sucks that he's the first death of the movie because he seemed to be kind of an interesting character and he was one of the more better acted characters in the movie, to be honest. I mean, you can only have so many nerdy voices of, for a and d guy, you know, as you can. Um, and Terrence, she's not that bad. Uh, but really, he was kind of the more outspoken type of guy and it was kind of... I would have liked to see him live longer. But... He gets one of the more entering deaths in the Nightmare on Elm Street pantheon of deaths. And it's one of the more imaginative ones. You know, Freddy plays him like a puppet because he loves puppets and he throws him off a cliff. Well, off of a building, I should say. So, of course, they go into another group session to discuss what happened with Philip. And uh, Cool Breeze here, or Kincaid as he's known... Uh, explains why exactly Philip died. He wasn't strong enough, so he got wasted. That's all. That's all? Is that what you think? He couldn't hack it, so he got nailed. Period. So, because he's from the streets and he's mean, he, of course, he gets, you know, has to say in the, the style and tone of some type of gangster type guy. So he got himself killed. And that kind of also stirs up everything in the group. And then, for again, I can't stress enough how I horrible i think these doctors are dr gordon says something to a bunch of suicidal teens that i think he need to say philip killed himself now that's a cowardly thing that's an empty thing he let himself down he let all of us down so he let you guys down because he killed himself i know that you maybe this is just the time frame of the film but i don't think i'd ever tell a group of suicidal teens that it's the cowardly way to go it's something that maybe personally I believe, but why would you tell a bunch of individuals who are, you know, aren't doing so well? So this also causes, uh, you know, more of an outburst from Kincaid, and Kincaid gets kind of put into the deprivation room, where he's going to be forced to go in there by himself, uh, and they're going to try to give him sedatives to make him sleep. Uh, it's at this point that Nancy believes that she should give uh, him the hypnotol or hypnosil, I should say. To Kincaid sleeps but doesn't dream while he's locked up inside that cell. He eventually tries to stay up through the night for himself. Uh, 
Now, what also happens here is they kind of have these weird interactions with all these different things. And you learn at this point a little more about uh, the junkie chick when she runs into that one nurse that took away the other nurse that Joey was trying to hit on. Got the keys to heaven, baby. What? The dispensary. I am talking clean pharmaceutical high, a night at club meth. I don't do that shit. What are those, beauty marks? Those are ancient history. Oh, yeah? Well, if you're ever in the mood for a history lesson, I'm your teacher, understand? Stay out of my face, or I'll go straight to Max. Oh, yeah? Now, who's going to take the word of a crazy junkie chick like you? Fuck off! Okay, so the importance of the scene uh, is really thought about later in this film. Not thought about, but kind of shown later in this film. But I want to touch on one point with Taryn here. Uh, and that is what she said earlier in the film. That she's just there to try to avoid Juvie. Now, when I thought about that, and you want to avoid Juvenile Hall, means that you're doing something wrong. Uh, you know, as a kid... I mean, there are a lot of different things that could go wrong. You could be boosting cars, you could be robbing people, whatever. But you go to juvenile hall because whatever. But a heroin junkie, that's something new. Like, they don't even touch on it until this point in the film that she's actually a junkie. So she's probably a liar, too. She's not trying to stay out of juvenile hall. Maybe she's trying to stay out of jail. So, and, and also, if she was going to be juvenile hall... That means that she needs to be under 18. And I don't believe any of these kids are really under 18. And if they are, they look really old. I mean, like, 21 Jump Street old to be teenagers in this film. Juvenile Hall type of teenagers. We also see Jennifer, and she talks with Max. And she wants to stay up and keep watching TV because she needs to stay up through the night. Max is really reluctant at first, but then he ends up giving in to her. And this will prompt one of my favorite deaths in the series, period. And again, like I said, it's not because it's the way that death happens in this one. It's the pun. And I'm going to play the pun for you. Um, and if you want to, check out the Facebook page to watch the video of this kill. I posted it up there. It's one of my favorites. So... She's watching TV, and she nods off for a second, and she changes the channel, and it happens to be a talk show. And this is where the cameos of Zsa Zsa Gabor and Dick Cavett show up. And first I thought, oh, they're just playing some random scene, you know, from one of the talk shows before. But this actually was a small acted out part for both of them. They're talking back and forth, back and forth, and then finally... Dick Cavett asks Jaja if she can ask a question, to which Dick Cavett turns into fucking Freddy Krueger and doesn't want to hear what the fuck she has to say. And that causes the TV to go weird and for Jennifer to freak out. She can't switch the channel, so she walks up to the TV. And the moment that she hits the TV to get it, because kids back in the day, you had to tune your channels. Um... And if you remember that, you're as old as I am. And uh, But when you were watching TV sometimes, the channel would tune out. So you'd have to get up, and you'd either have to use the tuner, uh, or in my case, I had like little buttons for each channel on the old TV that I used to have. 
and I'd have to take like a screwdriver <laughs> or a pen uh, or a pencil and actually twist it and tune in the channel. So when she can't get it to tune in or to the channels to change, she slaps the TV and out comes Freddy from the TV. His arms bust out of the side of the TV. His head comes out of the top. And here is the best fucking pet Freddy pun, uh, or at least my favorite one in all the series. This is it, Jennifer. Your big break in TV. Fuck the front time, bitch. And pow, her head goes right into the television. The effect coupled with the saying of welcome to primetime, bitch, uh, is abs- makes me smile every time I fucking see it. Uh, and is worth it alone to watch a little bit of that video. So, of course, in the- we go to a funeral for Jennifer. And two kids have really died within the past two days. All of a sudden, Nancy shows up and all these kids start dying. What the fuck? And how long have they been there? It seemed like they've been there forever, and all of a sudden, they're just killing everybody here. So, uh, as they're all kind of around there watching the funeral, uh, Dr. Gordon notices somebody out of the corner of his eye. And somebody, and it's somebody I haven't really talked about yet, but she's been seen earlier in the movie. And it happens to be this nun that's wearing all white. He decides uh, to chase after her. And he runs and he starts talking with her to where she kind of uh, asks him a couple of different questions. And one of them happens to be with what religion uh, does he follow? What faith do you follow? Science, I suppose. Sad choice. And that's kind of weird to say that it's a sad choice if you follow science. I understand. She's a nun. Nuns need to say those type of things because they believe in a higher power. Not everybody does, but it always seems when there's a supernatural type of killer or whatever, of course your faith is the way that you're going to save everything and solve everything. It's also the way that you end up killing people rather than the science of things. But we all know better what happens when you kill a supernatural being. It also kind of links into that the nun knows something more about what's going on than anybody else except for Nancy. Only one thing can save the children. The unquiet spirit must be laid to rest. It is an abomination to God and to man. So she lets on that she knows something and it kind of starts to bother Dr. Gordon. Uh, He ends up going uh, and meeting up with Nancy and they talk a little bit. And then we end up back at, I guess, Nancy's place. Like, how fast was that? Are they really going to start getting it on? I I kind of hope not, because he's a lot older than she is. But, of course, this is also a movie where teenagers are looking like they're in their late 20s. So, it's 90210 all over again. Nancy decides at this point that it's time to tell the truth to Dr. Gordon and to the group. Maybe you're ready. For what? truth try me only if you're willing to put aside everything you've learned and trust me can you do that i can do that so the next morning they decide to have a special group meeting without the other doctor this is the point in the film where we start to get a little extra backstory on freddy krueger 
and everything else that's kind of going around with these kids. So let's listen to Nancy talk a little bit about what exactly is going on. I know who's trying to kill you. Don't humor us. We're not in the mood. He wears a dirty brown hat. He's horribly burned. He has razors on his right hand. Who is he? His name is Freddy Krueger. He was a child murderer before he died. And after he died, well, he became something worse. Six years ago, he killed my friends. He almost killed me. Why is he after us? Yeah, what did we do? It's not you. Your parents, my parents, they burned him alive. And now we're paying for their sins. You are the last of the Elm Street children. Mom and Dad, I mean, that's, that's crazy. They never mentioned anything. Oh, sure, that's the sort of thing parents tell their kids. Good night, darling. Say your prayers. And oh, by the way, your father and I torched some maniac last night. You know, I couldn't have said that better myself. Really? They're the Elm Street kids? They were originally, their parents were part of the group that actually killed Freddy. And for those that you don't know about how Freddy actually died, he was burnt to a crisp uh, after he was killed by a bunch of group of parents. And the reason that he's even going after uh, Nancy in the first film is because her parents had something to do with it. And he's trying to kill the kids of the parents to take revenge, right? And then you have this film where these kids, all the kids that are associated with it. So Kirsten, Will, Philip, Kincaid, Joey, Taryn, and Jennifer... All seven of these kids, and this also will include Nancy, because Nancy is not dead yet. She just doesn't dream. These seven are now all brought together, and they're basically easy pickings. He could have, he may not know where any of them were, but all of them happened to be brought back because he found them one by one, and now they're all just ready, you know, for him to kill them. So it's smart. Just set them all up to have Freddy kill them, right? Because what she wants to do is since she knows that Kirsten has that special ability to draw people into the dreams, she wants them to all sleep and all join into Kirsten's dream. Because the only way to defeat Freddy is together. Though we find out there is a better way to defeat Freddy. And we'll talk about that more later in the podcast. So they all go into the dream. And at first, no one believes that they're actually in the dream. They all fall asleep to this hypnotic rhythm, uh, this kind of like pendulum that they have there. And at one point, Joey decides that he gets up and he's just going to leave because nothing's really working. But they figure out a little bit later that they're actually there inside the dream. We're here. We're here. We're in the dream. Well, no, we're not. We're still here in the group. my dreams, I can walk. My legs are strong. In my dreams, I am the wizard master. So, uh, Dr. Gordon doesn't believe that the dream, that they're actually in the dream world. Which 
is weird to me because they realize they're in the dream world when uh, I forget what those ball things are called where they hit each other back and forth and they usually have them doctor's desks and they use them. So when all the balls from that fly into the air like and surprises him, he can't believe that he's in the dream at that point. It makes no sense. That doesn't happen in real life. You have to be in a dream. And it takes Will getting up from his wheelchair to make everybody realize that, yes, they're in the dream. And then they all kind of figure out what their powers are inside the dream. So Will, he's a wizard master in his dream. So he's able to use magic. It's interesting. It's great. Um, the uh, Kincaid, he's got super strength. Again, stereotypical, oh, look, the black guy that's the sassy talker has to be the strong guy in the film. Uh, Kirsten's got the, uh, <laughs> the use of gymnastics. Uh, so she does a bunch of fucking flips and stuff. And, oh, God, the best delivered line in the movie goes to Taryn. And here's her power. In my dreams, I'm beautiful. <laughs> and bad. So she can play with knives and she looks good. But she doesn't look beautiful because she's got a giant fucking mohawk and these weird, like, fucking leather biker type pads that don't look good. Like, nothing looks good on... If you think that looks good, but it's probably because you feel stronger because she's not a junkie in that life. I get that. I totally do. But she doesn't look good. <laughs> like, at all. Like, I kind of like her in her plain Jane, like, junkie look versus this weird fucking mohawk bullshit that she's got going out. So, uh, we go from this scene, and nobody realizes that Joey's gone, by the way. And when Joey left... That nurse from earlier that he was kind of trying to hit on, but, you know, he can't talk, so he can't really hit on her. He sees her, and she tells him to follow him. Now, if I were you, would you follow? Like, would you Would you do it? Like, there's a possibility that you're in the dream world. Okay, you don't know that you're in the dream world, but there is always a possibility. That nurse could be Freddy Krueger, okay? And I'm pretty sure that 98% of the audience knows that that nurse is Freddy Krueger. I'm not ruining anything for you because you know what's going to happen. But at the same time, if I was in Joey's position and she was like, uh, why don't you come with me? Do you want to come with me real fast? And I've been trying to hit that for a while. I probably would follow her. But then she gives like these really cheesy lines about like, you know, oh, I've always been interested. I've always liked you, Joey, and blah, blah, blah. No, that's like a Carrie situation waiting to happen right there. You're going to go into that room, and she's going to pour, like, pig's blood on you or something. She's going to make fun of you, and then that weird, like, junky fucking nurse is going to come by, and he's going to put heroin in your veins and get you hooked to heroin and call it a joke. You know, shit like that is going to happen to you if you do that. Well, you know, good for him because... We get 80 boobs, 80s boobs in this scene, uh, and he gets to see 80s boobs at the same time. And, of course, she turns into fucking Freddy, and she ties him to the bed, and we get one of Freddy's wonderful puns. What's wrong, Joey? Feeling tongue-tied? Oh, I should mention, to make that joke actually funny, uh, he's tied to the bed with tongues. And then, of course, the bed falls away, and he kind of gets trapped into Freddy's world. Uh, and the room that everybody else is in when they realize that Joey's not th is not there starts to turn into Freddy's world. I mean, maybe Silent Hill took this idea from a nightmare from the Nightmare on Elm Street. I was about to say a nightmare before Christmas, but that's not right. 
but a nightmare on Elm Street, you know, the whole changing of worlds because everything's kind of the regular world in the real in the dream world for a second, but then they are slowly turning into Freddy's world. So it's weird. It makes me think that maybe, just maybe, Silent Hill got that from there. So Magic all decide or managed to escape Freddy's world before everything happens. They're woken up by the other nurse. Uh, but Joey is the only one that doesn't come out of it, and he's stuck in a coma, and now he's stuck in Freddy's world. This, of course, causes one of the head muckety-mucks to come to the hospital and relieve both Dr. Gordon and Nancy from their job-slash-internship. This is inexcusable. The session was unauthorized. It was purposely conducted without my knowledge. Unusual steps were called for, Dr. Carver. Is that what I should tell that young man's parents? I understand you prescribed a highly experimental drug. Dr. Carver, he's not in a coma because Young of... lady, your opinion is of no interest to me. Furthermore, according to Dr. Sims, you've been creating panic among the patients. That's not true. Dr. Gordon, in the last four days, we've had two suicides, and now that young man is in a coma. I think it's safe to say that your approach has failed entirely. You're both relieved of duty. So, <clears throat> they're left to go on their own ways, and, <clears throat> you know... Gordon goes and brings his stuff back to the car. And while he's there, he sees the nurse in the tower that Philip jumped from. He decides that it's okay to go to the creepy place and breaks the worst lock ever. I mean, it's literally on the door. It's a master lock. Maybe again, like I said, this is 87, so maybe the, you know, quality wasn't quite there. Though it was probably made of real steel instead of whatever they make it out nowadays. <clears throat> and he's able to break the lock open and he goes up the tower. And he runs into the nun at the top of the tower of course this is the most creepy place ever and he asks her to explain a little more what's going on this is where it began this wing's been closed for years what was this place purgatory fashioned by the hands of men twisted lonely souls the worst of the criminally insane we're locked up in here like animals. This whole facility was shut down in the 40s, wasn't it? Some sort of scandal? The young girl on the staff was accidentally locked in here over the holidays. The inmates kept her hidden for days. She was raped hundreds of times. When they found her, she was barely alive. And with child. That girl was Amanda Kruger. Her child, Freddy. The bastard son of a hundred maniacs. Okay, that's pretty fucked up right there. Freddy was made. Not made as Freddy Krueger, but made as a human being by his mom being gang raped in a prison by prisoners. So... Not only is his mom pretty fucked up, I'd imagine, after that, but he doesn't even know who his dad is. I mean, that is, like, probably Maury's, like, dream episode. Who's Freddy's father? He's got at least a hundred men to test, right? And then you're going to find out that it's none of the hundred men, and it's really some other person on the staff, like a priest or something, that she had sex with one night, and that's the reason why he's evil. Right, because you're not supposed to do that if you're in the fatherhood. So, you know, after all of that, 
in that horrific fucking story, um, he asks, how exactly are they supposed to set Freddy's spirit to rest? You said something before about laying him to rest. You must find the remains and bury him in hallowed ground. Okay, so hollow ground, does that just mean like a cemetery? Or does it need to be like blessed by somebody? Like, if I find his bones, do I need to bring a priest with me? Like, and can it be like a priest seeking redemption? So I can get like a drunk priest, and then he can come out with me, and he can get redeemed, and maybe he blesses the ground and gets killed. Maybe I'm thinking way too far ahead for this. But what if I don't believe in any of this? What if I don't have any faith, Miss Nurse? A nurse nun, I should say. Hallowed ground? Sister? If your only faith is science, Doctor, it may be you that's laid to rest. Are you kidding me? This again? How many times do we have to have some type of faith-based savior in some supernatural killer type of story? Oh, who knows? Who cares? Believe in God or you're going to die. So, meanwhile, at the hospital, they're talking to all the people, and the other nurse is letting them know that, well, I shouldn't say nurse, the other doctor, is letting the group know that Nancy and Dr. Gordon have been fired. Of course, this fires everybody up, especially Kirsten, and they don't want them to take Nancy away because Nancy knows exactly what's hurting them and is able to actually help them fight against Freddy, possibly. We don't really know because they weren't really able to fight against him the first time. And so Kirsten, she's then locked up and she's going to be sedated and thrown into the quiet room. So you don't really want to ether that girl up, but I guess that's what's going to have to. Meanwhile... Dr. Gordon and Nancy, they know exactly who knows where Freddy's bones are buried. So, who does that person happen to be? Why, it's her dad. And where's her dad? At the bar, because he's become a drunk. And it's just really bad drunk acting. I I just don't get it. I mean, they have this conversation back and forth about, you know, after mom died, you didn't want to see me anymore, and you just cut me out of your life, and... I am not your son. You know, uh, wait, that's a different movie altogether. Um, But really, they have this type of conversation. And again, it's just like the wooden acting championships. Fucking Nancy has just one tone the entire time. And, And it kind of pisses me off because I don't remember it in The Nightmare on Elm Street. And maybe because she wasn't the heroine. Maybe because, like, not the heroine, but the... Uh, the main protagonist of the film. That's that's the best way I can say it. Because she really doesn't save anybody. She's constantly chased by Freddy. And maybe because she's not in this film and she actually has to be a character, she can't quite act that well for this movie. So, uh, <clears throat> Dr. Gordon gets a page. Hmm. Yeah, I guess in 87 pages were around. Uh, and it happens to be the kids. And they tell what's going to go on with Kirsten. Dr. Gordon? Karen? You've got to come right away. It's Kristen. She had a total shit attack. Sims doped her up and put her in the quiet room. Sims put Kristen in the quiet room for the night. They sedated her. Oh, no. She can't stay awake for long. She's all alone in there. Freddy's going to get her. Okay, none of you panic. Just stay cool. Help is on the way. Just hurry. Okay. 
And they could easily just browbeat and get the information out of the dad, which Dr. Gordon eventually does. He does get him to go along with him to find the bones of Freddy Krueger. But they could have done more of, to, to just solve this situation. Nancy gets to the hospital, and she runs into Max, and she explains to him that she really needs to see Kristen. Max, I need to see Kristen. You don't understand. Look, Miss Thompson, save your breath. Dr. Sims gave me specific instructions. No one gets to see Kristen, especially you. But, Max, she needs me. She's in danger. you got to believe me. Listen, I really think you mean well. I do, but my kid's been dying off. And even if I didn't have orders from Sims, I wouldn't let you near her. No way. Okay, Max, I understand. Can I say goodbye to the others? I don't know. It'll be my last chance. Okay, you got five minutes. They're in the TV room. So, of course, Nancy gets everybody together inside the TV room. Meanwhile, Dr. Gordon is driving around with uh, Nancy's dad. And first he has to make a stop at a church where he goes and he takes the liquor bottle. Of course, you know, since Nancy's dad's a drunk now, he's got to drink and drive at the same fucking time while being a cop. Uh, he pours out all the liquor in it and he fills the bottle with holy water. Then he takes a cross off of the, one of the like walls, uh, or like wire frames inside the church. I, I don't know. He just takes a fucking cross from the church, gets caught by a priest and then proceeds to give the priest his driver's license as payment. That's weird. Why wouldn't you just like look in your fucking wallet and be like, Hey, I've got... 80 bucks. Here, I'm going to give you 80 bucks right now for this cross, and then I'll come back later and I'll give you some more for it, or we'll talk about it. But I really need this. And remember what I said earlier? Wouldn't you want to take the priest with you? Be like, hey, I really need to bury these bones. And I know it's going to sound weird, but I need you to bless the ground from wherever I'm going to bury it, so that way it's hollowed ground at that point. Because if I just bury the ground in anywhere, is that going to work? I don't know. I'm just a guy. Like, wouldn't you... Maybe he's going to take the bones back and he's going to just put them in a grave and be done with it. Instead of them, you know, the family hiding everything from everybody. So, we go back to the TV room where Nancy's got everybody together. And she goes over the plan of what they're going to do. Straight talk only in here. What about Kristen? We can't get to her. I tried. I was hoping we'd have more time to learn to use the dreams. But Joey's in there, and Kristen's going in with or without us. They need us. You mean we're going to try to go in with her? To link up? It's now or never. I'm not going to kid you. This is as dangerous as it gets. If you die in this dream, it's for real. Nobody has to go in that doesn't want to. I'm in. Me too. Let's go kick the motherfuckers' ass all over dreamland. Yeah! <laughs> remember, you have to stay together whatever happens. It's the only way we can beat him. Okay, so remember I said something earlier that I wanted to get back to and I'm going to talk about it? Well, this is that specific issue, okay? 
Now, they're all going to go in. They're going to save Kristen. And, again, I'm going to apologize for this, too. I've been saying Kirsten the entire time, and it's Kristen. I don't know how I heard it as Kirsten at once, but I've been going off of that. But we're going to go from Kristen from now on. But they're going to go in, and they know the fact that they're going to die. I understand that they're volunteering to go in at this point. But wouldn't you rather just go get Freddy's remains and bury it in hollow ground and save everybody, possibly? Or the, just Kristen dies? I mean, the the plan is to go in there and stay together with everybody and protect Kristen. But you would think that Freddy's a little smarter than that. That he's not so easily, you know pushed around that you guys are going to be able to stay together the entire time so why have possibly more people die uh protecting the one person like just if Kristen dies Kristen dies i mean be like ivan drago here okay if he dies he dies you know just leave it alone but you're able to get the body bury it and you save everybody and you nothing's ever done again you don't have to worry about it but of course this is the way that it's going to go and they all go into dreamland they all managed to hook up with uh, Kristen inside the dream. But of course, shortly after it, they're all broken up. And we actually get something that's kind of neat. We go back to the beginning of the film. Now you might think to yourself, are they just, you know, something's wrong with the video that I have? What's going on? But the entire beginning of the movie is basically kind of played over again. Not watching her build the house, but the point where her mom comes home. And we even get to have her bitching to her daughter about there's somebody being downstairs. Mom, I had the most awful dream. Lang, where do you keep the bourbon? I'll be right down. Chris, I've got a guest. Please, Mom, I just don't want to be alone. I said, where's the fucking bourbon? You should listen to your mother. God damn it, Chris, did you ruin everything? Oh shit, it's not a uh, real thing. That's a fucking dream. That's Freddy Krueger cutting off her mom's head and showing it to her. But that, I mean, was so realistic and I, for a second there, thought it was true. Because that's the way her mom's acted ever since we met her in the beginning of the film. She doesn't really give a fuck about her daughter or what her daughter's feelings are. You know, she he's just explaining what's going on. So, this is when we have Kristen bust out some sweet Jim Cotta style moves and she's basically getting away from Freddy. Like, wait, it's freaking crazy. The fact that he's able to, or she's able to totally dodge him and kick him and do all this stuff by doing gymnastics and able to actually get out of there. So we then cut over to Taryn. Uh, once we see that Kristen has escaped and Taryn's walking down her badass outfit and of course she, there's a bunch of signs and she's walking down a hallway and you see some things about Freddy and <clears throat> guess who decides to show up and fight against her well it's Freddy and they have a little bit of battle it's uh it's an okay fight it's not the best in the world but what happens uh towards the end of it you know, he says, he, you know, aren't you glad that I'm back? And then you look down at her arms, and it's a really cool practical effect. And all of the, like, the track marks that basically have been on her arms, 
they all have mouths and they're all like suckling babies suckling for something and that's when Freddy reveals that both of his hands have been turned to nothing but syringes filled with what I assume is heroin and of course we get another great Freddy pun Let's when he stabs her right into her arms with his hands ultimately killing her because he makes her overdose on the drugs that he's got it's really neat and you're killing the person I mean everybody in this they're all killing by what they were either interested in or you know what their flaw or addiction was um, so of course we go then to Will and we get Freddy there and Freddy uh, is he sees that he's walking around and he's going to attack him with the wheelchair and we get again another great Freddy pun for now maybe but when you wake up it's back in the saddle again get it because right now he can walk but then he's going to be right back in that wheelchair when he wakes up. But not the wheelchair that Freddy's got for him, which blasts at him like a bat out of hell and has all these like razors and all these other things on the side and manages to knock him down. So Will, he's kind of, you know, distressed right there. And the wheelchair has then looped around and it's coming back for run number two. And when it's coming back to get him, Will realizes that, hey, you know, this is a dream, and in a dream, I'm a wizard, and I can do whatever. And he's able to jump over and use magic to destroy the wheelchair. So, of course, he runs at Freddy with his magic, thinking that's going to do Freddy in, but of course... In the name of Loris, Prince of Elves, Demon Be Gone! <laughs> I don't believe in fairy tales. Yep, it doesn't work. He casts a spell and Freddy just stabs the shit out of him. So now we've lost Taryn and we've lost Will. Which sucks because I kind of liked Will as a character. A um, little nerdy. And Taryn, you know, there was more going on. It kind of sucked that she went out like a bitch too. Kind of like Philip. Kind of like Jennifer. The only one that even remotely had a chance might have been will well i say taryn had might have had a chance too because she went in there knowing what was going to go on and she went in there actually like trying to attack people so you know well attack freddie but she just wasn't strong enough and he used her addiction against her um you know even though will his magic didn't work at all at least he had a chance to fight back and might have actually beat him a little bit but freddie's stronger than that so Kristen and Nancy meet up back with each other uh, inside the house, which if I haven't told you already, that was Nancy's old house. Of course, Nancy probably told you back in one of the clips, but I'm just going to remind you it's Nancy's old house, but in Freddy Krueger's world. Something starts beating onto the wall and it starts to break apart. The two get ready to attack, you know, Nancy with, I don't know, she doesn't really have any dream powers and Kristen with her Jim Cotta. Uh, and it's Kincaid that busts through the wall and joins the three. And, of course, you know, he's like, now that we're together, we're stronger than ever. And he tar- starts talking shit to Freddy Krueger. Yo, Freddy, where you hiding at, you burnt face pussy? Hey, we should find the others first. You think you're hot shit with the little milk kid, don't you? Well, let me see you come get a piece of me. Kruger, pussy! 
So that causes a door to open up. Well, not open up, but uh, materialize right in front of him. And it leads into a rave. No, 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 no. It, it did not open to that. It went straight into Freddy Krueger's lair. So they go down in there and they finally see Freddy all lined up and he's got Joey there. And he's talking to Joey and he looks up at them. And of course, Nancy's stupid and asks for Freddy to release Joey. And of course, the tongues release themselves from the bedpoles that he's still attached to above the fire, one by one, allowing Nancy enough time to go down there and go grab and save Joey. We should also note that uh, Dr. Gordon and... Um, the dad have arrived at the junkyard where Freddy's body happens to be buried. And it happens to be buried in the back of a red Cadillac. Now there is a little significance to that because it looks exactly like the Cadillac that was used at the end of a nightmare on Elm street. So of course, Freddy's bones are going to be buried in that thing. We kind of got a hint about that in the first one, even though the first film wasn't meant to serve as the beginning to a whole franchise. But here we are. We're in the third one. So we see uh, them try to get the bones while in the other world, in the dream world, Freddy is trying to handle the kids. But as he realizes kind of what's going on, he goes into the real world at this point. Now, the second one was one of the first films that had Freddy actually attacking people in the real world. But... So far, for the third part, we've only been in the dream world. So he goes out there, and all of a sudden, cars start crashing everywhere. And the cars fall on top of the car where her dad was uh, standing by and blocks them in completely into the area that they're at. Uh, Out of the ground, well, not out of the ground, out of the bones, they materialize in a decent claymation section. Uh, And Freddy starts fighting off both Dr. Gordon and the dead. He knocks Dr. Gordon out and goes and fights the dead and ultimately kills Nancy's dad by impaling him on one of the pieces of uh, scrap metal that's in the the area. Going back uh, into the, the dream world, they're trying to find out a way out. And they, uh, they're together there with Joey, and they're all walking down this like hallway of mirrors. Kruger comes out and replicates himself in every one of the mirrors and is able to uh, grab uh, Kincaid, Kristen, and Nancy and start pulling them in. This causes Joey to finally use his voice and shatter all the mirrors, supposedly getting rid of Kruger. Of course, it's always supposed. That's what you got to take away with this franchise. So we have them all getting together. And then you hear in the distance this angelic music and this bright light. And you see, lo and behold, 
Nancy's dead, and she's the, and he's there telling her that she's passed or he's passed over. Daddy, you crossed over, princess. Crossed over. I couldn't go without telling you how sorry I am for all the things I've done. I love you so much. I'll always love you. Now, did everybody know what was going to happen at that scene? Of course it's fucking Freddy. I mean, you've kind of set yourself up already for the, you know, never to trust anybody that happens to be in the dream world it's gonna be him right so he stabs nancy and he starts going after the others but nancy she manages to go and start wrangling him and stabs him makes him stab himself with his own claws meanwhile in the real world dr gordon wakes up and when dr gordon wakes up he's able to put uh freddy's bones into the ground opens up the bottle of jack holy water and starts spreading holy water all over the bones. This causes Freddy to start glowing and start spewing out bright light all over the place. He then says a prayer and puts the cross on top of the bones, which ultimately makes Freddy freak the fuck out, spin around the room, and disappear. So, there you have it. I guess Freddy's dead, or he's at least done for this movie. We transition to the next day, and they're at a funeral. And, of course, the funeral for Nancy. Because, really, no one gives a fuck about Will. Nobody gives a fuck about Taryn. It's Nancy's where it's at. Instance, Dr. Gordon sees the nun once again and decides to go and follow her. They talk for a second, and then she disappears. And he turns around and he sees a grave. And who's it happen to be? Ann Kruger. The mother of Freddy Krueger was the nun that was helping him finally put her son's soul to rest. So, we then uh, find out that Dr. Gordon has kept the papier-mâché house that Kristen had made. And it focuses on in it, and the last shot of the movie is, of course, a light going on in the house. Kind of showing us that maybe Freddy isn't dead after all. What you're telling me with that ending that everything they did was for naught and this is where it kind of pisses me off once again and i know i talked a little bit about it but really you should have like just gone with him and gotten the bones like yelled at your dad got the fucking bones and let Kristen die 
I'm I'm totally serious about this because now that you've all kind of, I understand that you need Kristen live because you need to be going to her dream together. So that way that you could fight him. But if you could just kill him off by burying the damn bones in hollowed ground, that'd be it. And again, I said it earlier, you can't kill him unless it's in hollowed ground by just throwing fucking holy water on the bones and putting dirt over it doesn't mean that it's hollowed ground of course the fucker's gonna come back so everything you did was wasted you let two more people die where maybe one could have died and he wasn't planning on killing joe anytime soon it was just fucking bait for you to come in there come on guys gotta be smarter than that but overall this movie's great it's fantastic I recommend this for anybody that's a big fan. And this is like classic horror. You know, it is a bad movie. but And it's, it is a so good or so bad it's good uh, situation. Where the acting is just what draws you out of the film. And there's a couple things and the things that I talk about. They're, they're not... some uh, A couple of things aren't really that minor in terms of what I complain about. But most of it is minor complaints. It's just little things here and there. Like... They could have done this instead of that. They could have not sacrificed everybody just to make sure that Kristen was able to get out alive. You know, the quality of the film was good. You can tell that the story was a little more thought out than the second one, which is just okay. Uh, But it's got some forgettable characters, too. I mean, Kincaid, I could do without. He's just the jive-talking black guy that's the strong kid from the streets. You know, okay, if that's a reason for Freddy to target him, I I honestly don't get it. Uh, Will, D&D nerd, you know, he just, he does like this all the time. It's a little fucking annoying, you know. And the the thing behind Taryn being a user, it's hinted at, but it's really only a reason for her to die. I mean, she kind of just says that, she, you know, she's not really there for, you know, the drug use. It's there for just juvie. You know, uh, and Kirsten, Kristen is just there because she tried to commit suicide, but it wasn't really her in that situation. Actually, it was Freddie. And the fact that everybody's talking about the same thing and they're not related to each other, they don't know each other, you think you would explore this Freddie thing a little further than just dismissing it as, oh, it's just a cover-up and you guys have all talked to each other. But they really didn't know each other and they're afraid to sleep and they say this guy only comes in their dreams and every one of them is afraid to sleep. So, overall, I'm going to give this film a crap factor of two or five. It's really only two because of the acting. And it does take you out some of the scenes, especially some of the more emotional stuff with Nancy. Uh, I just, I said it before too, it's just always the same tone all the time. Even when it needs to be important, even when she needs to show emotion, it's still like low-key valley girl speak. Um, The fun of the movie, it's a four out of five. The puns are great. Uh, The kills are great. Um everything that just when freddy's on the screen but he's not on it for much i bet you if i went back through the film i'd say he's actually in it for a good 20 minutes of the movie maybe less uh i know somebody did some comparisons out there i just can't remember them off the top of my head uh the gore factor is a four out of five when there is gory things that happen they're done well the puppet string stuff is fantastic it is gory how it comes out of him 
1987, it looks great. Even the head that he holds when he holds her mom when he first takes it in there, it looks a little cheesy, but I still like the effect for the time period. Like, I can get away with it. Nowadays, I'd want it to be all CG, but even when the mom was talking there, you know, the the effect with the green screen looked good. I For this time, it still kind of holds up. But the effects for things like the snake, the room being torn apart, the boiler room world that he lives in that you finally get a decent look at in this film. Uh, I feel you get a better look at starting with this film and then you always kind of come back to it with every other film after this. But, you know, I think it was a good idea to end Nancy's story, to bring her back. You know, kind of like Halloween series did, but I think they did it way too late. Uh, and especially when they tried to do something different with Halloween 3, you know, you went on and you had uh, more after that that were back to Michael Myers. And um, it's it's just a good movie. So overall, I'm going to give this movie four out of five Wizard Masters. And I definitely think that you'd see it. Also, <laughs> the theme song uh, was done by Dokken. And if you don't know who Dokken is, I would say go look them up. Um that song is such 80s hair metal cheese that it is fantastic and just makes everything bit better for the whole film. So, to continue with Freddy Month, I decided just to pick up where I left off. And we're going to look at A Nightmare on Elm Street Part 4, The Dream Master. <laughs> Terror is. Hello. Do you live here? Nobody lives here. Real terror. How long has it been since you've been on Elm Street? Welcome to a brand new nightmare. He is the first in fear. I will you help me! I'm sorry, someone help me, please! Second to none. Don't let them put you to sleep. He has no mercy. And no evil. Now no one sleeps. Get ready. This August, your wildest dreams will come true. How sweet, fresh meat. A Nightmare on Elm Street, Part 4. The Dream Master. So get ready. You can find that uh, on iTunes, Amazon Instant, I believe. Uh, I wish that it was on Netflix, but surprisingly, only the second one and the new Nightmare is on streaming. But, of course, if you get the DVDs, you can just order the DVD through the mail. So we'll be looking at that next week. Uh, I want to thank the Now That I'm Older podcast, actually, for making this suggestion. You can follow them on Twitter at I'm Older PC or check them out at NowThatImOlder.com. And definitely give their podcast a check out and uh, a shout out if you can. Um, And I thank them for actually doing letting me do Freddy Month. Uh, and it was weird because in the beginning they 
said uh, four, but called it the Dream Warriors, and that's number three. So I just decided, let's do three and four based on that. So we'll cover both bases. Uh, and surprisingly, four is a film I have not seen. So let's look for that for next month. All right, so you can always follow me on Twitter. Uh, it's at T underscore T underscore podcast. Uh, check out the Facebook page, facebook.com slash Terrible Terror Podcast. Uh, where there are little video clips and definitely check out that video clip of Jennifer's death. Uh, it's good effects for the time. Uh, and it's a very entertaining scene, especially with Zsa Zsa Gabor. Uh, you can check out the other podcasts that I do, uh, every week that I do not do this podcast. It's called it be like that. Uh, and that is at IBLT podcast on Twitter. Um, and you can also find that uh, on iTunes, Spreaker, Blueberry, and Stitcher. Also, you can rate our podcast, if you do like it, uh, on iTunes, on Stitcher, on Blueberry, on Spreaker. Uh, that way, we can get some more uh, visibility uh, out there in podcast land. Um, and if there's... Oh, and you can also email the podcast at terribleterrorpodcast at gmail.com. Send us suggestions for any movies. I've got a couple that are in the can uh, that I'm going to look at um, and figure out what to kind of watch after Freddy month. And if you have ideas for theme months too, uh, I would definitely love to check a couple things out. And it doesn't have to be a franchise like this is a Freddy month. Uh, I could do it, but it could be slasher films and I could do a couple slasher films um and also you know for the, for the holidays if you guys know any holiday movies of course so i thank you very much for listening uh i apologize for the weak voice this week uh as i've been getting over a cold so and also i forgot to mention if you want to uh follow me directly on twitter it's just at toolbert t00lbert um that's it for this week Next week, we'll be watching A Nightmare on Elm Street Part 4, The Dream Master. Hey, hey, Dawkin, you guys doing anything? No, not really doing anything right now. Hey, you want to play us out for this episode? Oh, I'm sure you guys know it. All right, we're leaving with Dream Warriors from Dawkin. We'll talk to you next time, guys. Peace. Mm -hmm.